Welcome into Two for One Drafts. This is Austin Gale with Mike Renner, PFF's Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. We are live on YouTube every Tuesday and Thursday. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Let's get into the show schedule. We got mm-hmm. a lot of fun stuff to talk about. On our Tuesday pod, we went offensive position rankings, our top prospects at every offensive position. Right now, heading into college football week six, now we're going defense. We're going to talk defensive position rankings, the top guys at all those positions. We'll also do our segment, What's on Tap? It's prospect preview of the weekend looking at these games ahead. We'll also do draft specials, same kind of thing, but with rookies looking at that Sunday slate and talking rookies. And then our last segment, a little perfect pairings. We're going to get some mm, early player comps for you. Early player comps for you. Mike's got a couple. I got a couple. Should be some good fun. Let's get into these defensive position rankings because th- the reason I got to dive into this, one of my favorite guys in the draft is going to be the first on this list. Marvin Wilson, Florida yes. State defensive interior, the top interior defensive lineman in the class right now. Drew Jr., Coming into the season, he was ranked fourth on our defensive tackle rankings, but the dude, week after week, has been getting after opposing quarterbacks. Love what I've seen from him. Has the most, the biggest breadth of pass rushing moves of any of the defense tackles in this class. It's kind of a weak defensive tackle class for pure pass rushers. There's a lot of good run defenders who are still struggling to put it together as pass rushers. Marvin Wilson has it all, and he's only a true junior. A lot of the other defense tackles in this class, seniors, you know, Javon Kinlaw, who's number two on our list, Derek Brown, uh, Raekwon Davis, those guys are all seniors, all have had four years to try to figure it out and aren't quite still putting it all together. Marvin Wilson's doing it as a junior already. Love what I see. He's not in a great, he's not the athlete that the other guys are, though. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing to kind of like, only caveat to this. He's not going to be a special athlete by any means, but I still think with the, he's good enough athletically that it will translate to the next level. But he's not a special athlete, but I would say he's pretty athletic for his size. Yeah, the yeah. dude's an absolute unit. Six foot five, 311 pounds. He's a big body that if you first pop on the tape, he's wearing that 21 jersey, looks like a mobile home in the interior. You're like, okay, this is just a fat guy that plays a run well. Yeah. But then he, you know, pops off the snap a little bit, has that breadth of pass rushing moves like you spoke to, and he actually has great pass rushing production this year, a 92.3 pass rush grade through five weeks. He's got 20 total pressures, playing very well to start. He plays a little bit of a mix of inside the tackles, also play, lines up head up on the tackles sometimes for Florida State. You have to be really impressed with his pass rush production and his athletic ability for that size. Again, that size is crazy to yeah. see. It's crazy to see this pass rush production for this mobile home, as I call him right now. Yeah, I will say, though, between him and number two, Javon Kinlaw, it's pretty close. Kinlaw is pretty freakish in his own right. He's 6'6", 3'10", and he moves like you think like a three tech would move. He's going to test, you know, he's going to run a sub 540th combine. He has a great get off uh, along the interior there. Uh, he's still kind of putting it together as a pass rusher, though. Runs hot and cold, uh, but he's been better in recent weeks in terms of his production. So those two, uh, I think, are one and two. A lot of people have Derek Brown. A lot of people love Derek Brown. But 320 pounds, he just has not consistently rushed the passer. Only 10 total pressures in five games. Yeah, with Javon Kinlaw, he's got 19 total pressures. I remember watching that Missouri game where he earned a 93.0 pass rush grade. Absolutely dominated along the offensive line. And and when you can see that high end, when Mm -hmm. you can see Javon Kinlaw capable of winning at an absurd rate from a pass rusher, I think you you had to get more excited about him than you do a Derrick Brown. And he had a play this past week uh, where... He was actually running down the football field, and he got he was humming, crushed uh, a wide receiver down the football field, uh, like about ten yards past uh, for like a ten yard gain. And that dude legitimately was running, looked like a linebacker the way he was up. Mm-hmm. And I think a player that I think a lot of people have high in their defensive interior rankings right now is Alabama's Raquan Davis. I got to bring that name up because. Yeah. That's a guy six foot seven, three hundred twelve pounds. He's massive, an eighty nine point five run defense grade. But 
why he's not so high on our list right now, 71.0 pass rush grade, nine total pressures. When you are not creating or not having this pass rush production like a Marvin Wilson or Javon Kinlaw, in today's NFL, it's just so hard to value highly. I like run defense. It's great that you're good against the run, but you need to be a pass rusher if you're going to be a high-end talent in this draft. Yeah, and that's kind of, we've touched on it before. Uh, He was one of our fallers uh, earlier in the season that it, he's the same guy we saw as a sophomore when he first started getting playing time for Alabama. He just has not developed another pass rushing movie. He has not developed in that regard. Was earning, you know, earned an 89.1 run defense grade as a true sophomore, 89.5 this year, but his pass rushing grade is still only a 71.0. It's still just not getting after opposing quarterbacks. It's something that uh, we'll say again and again here on this podcast through PFF. Defensive line production and pass rushing is incredibly important. Projects very well to the NFL. If you do it in college or if you can't do it in college, the chances you do it in the NFL are slim because those college offense linemen stink. Mm-hmm. You should be able to beat them. If you're a freak athlete, you, should not be a, you, should, you shouldn't need much more than that. Uh, so, and if you're not doing it at the college level, it only gets more tough. It only gets more difficult. And I think that's, you bring up a great point because I think people, you know, it's, uh, you know, potential over production like he's just a super freaky athlete has but if you're that athletic if you're that freaky and you're not producing against future uber drivers and accountants i don't know what when you're going to do it Mm because these guys in the nfl they're also really good athletes and they're going to be better pass protectors i think a name that comes up is is rashawn gary a guy that had all this athleticism in the world the five-star pedigree Mm -hmm. did not produce at the college level and already it's a limited sample size he has been hurt but not producing high pass rush grades Mm -hmm. and high pass rush production um another guy i bring up lecky fotu He's a guy that popped off the tape against USC in 93.9 run defense grade. But again, when you start to maybe you want to bring him up your board because he's vicious, he's, you know, he's got six foot five, 335 pounds, an absolute monster in the middle, 61.5 pass rush grade. If you're not going to rush the passer, yeah. it's hard to be even a top 50 player in the class. Uh, he has the athleticism to maybe, you know, could be in the NFL. But again, if you haven't done it yet, you should be doing it against college competition. So Foto, love him as red defender, pass rush. We're still not going to be high on you until we see that come around. Going to edge defender, a guy that has been absolutely absurd. He's got all the athleticism and the production. Chase Young, Ohio State, easily the top edge defender in this class. Yeah. He's had a freaky start to the season. He Somehow he's getting better. So the, through the first three weeks, he was already the top-ranked pass rusher. He had the best pass rush grade in, in, in the country. In week four, 96.2 pass rush grade. Week five, 96.8 pass rush grade. And for those who don't, those weeks yeah, many players. For those who don't know, a single game pa- grade, pass rush grade, above 95 is kind of absurd to have Doesn't on happen. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On that small of a sample size, it's crazy. Nine total pressures in those two games. It's, but it's more than the pressure count. It's more than pressure percentage and how often you're getting pressure. It's when you're getting the pressure. And how he quickly. wins early in the snap. Yeah. He wins right off the snap with great juice off the line of scrimmage. I mean, I'm pouring praise on this guy, but I think it is all well-deserved. No, I think legitimately he is the best defensive line prospect we've seen in our six years from now doing this. He just is in terms of every single checkbox that you want to see at the position, freakish athleticism, freakish production, uh, you know, way he uses his hands, multiple ways to win, has it all. There's not a single thing he can't currently do at that position. Yes, obviously he still can improve. There's room for improvement, but I, I think his ceiling goes as high as any prospect we've seen in uh, our six years of doing this. And, you know, his pass rush grade right now would be a PFF record. His win percentage was win rate right now would be a PFF record. And I don't really see him. Like mm-hmm. I said, he's not slowing down. He's getting better every yeah. week, which is crazy to see. And I think the thing is him and Epinesa were seen as almost equals. Some people had Epinesa above him going into this season in terms of uh, where they ranked this edge class. 
Uh, it is a one-horse race. <laughs> it is not. They are not on the same plane anymore. Epinesa is not a consolation prize compared to what Chase Young. He is about as sure a thing as you'll see in the draft. And Chase Young, a little fun fact, slid into my DMs, and we were talking about you know this year and how, how mm. good he's been. And, what are you doing Friday night? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing Friday night? Can I come up to Columbus? No. Um, <clears throat> but... He's been fantastic, and he's talking yeah. to me like, I want to be the best in, in, in college football. Mm. I, need to, I need to put it all you on the line. That. You I love just love it. I love a guy that's just, you know what? I want to be the best, and he's capable mm. of it and chasing it and all that stuff, that aspiration. So maybe I'm getting too deep beyond the numbers. <laughs> but you brought up Epinesa. You uh, just wanted to bring up that EDM deal. <laughs> Epinesa, uh, 77.5 pass rush grade so far across 119 pass rush snaps, only 18 pressures. Yeah. Javon Kinlaw and uh, Marvin Wilson have more mm. at defensive interior where it's harder to get pressure. Uh, What's 18, your- I'm not going to squabble over 18 pressures in four mm-hmm. games. So it's true, still good. True, I mean, this true. is not like saying he's bad mm-hmm. by any means. But he's just, it's not the dominance we saw when he was a part time player last year. He's now a full time player, playing every single down, you know, pretty much of every game. And he's not, it hasn't translated completely to that role. Now, Iowa, a lot of run reads along their defensive line. He's not simply attacking. Chase That's Young's in a true. far more favorable role to produce as a pass rusher. So obviously that little caveat. But Epinesa, you would have liked to have seen a trend. Would have liked to have seen a little more dominance, like I said, to keep up with Chase Young. So I think Young's a clear number one, but Epinesa is still six foot seven, two hundred eighty pounds, absurdly powerful. And for him to be twenty one years old doing that sort of stuff, that is, I feel very comfortable about him being. Uh, you know, drafting top five, top ten, wherever you want to take them. Yeah, before we jump off the edge class, I got to bring up the Alabama guys. Terrell Lewis specifically, 90.4 pass rush grade through five weeks. He's, he's, he's also got 15 total pressures. You can't, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get off on that. I, I think Ole Miss, four total pressures. He's doing it. South Carolina, five total pressures. He's doing it against Power 5 competition. I know Alabama plays a few cupcakes to start, but when you're doing it against Power 5 tackles, I think this is, this is good for him, and he needs to stay healthy. And I think he needs mm-hmm. to continue to progress because the ceiling is definitely there for this kid because he has that a little bit more twitch than his counterpart, Anthony Jennings. And I think with that being said, six foot five, 252 pounds, you got that athletic profile too. I'm starting to get excited. Well, I, I think a lot of people came into this year and said, oh, it's a weak edge class, top two, and then you got, don't really have other, you know, a lot of other first round type of talents. I think we're moving to the point where I'd see six guys, Lewis being one of them. Uh, that could feasibly make their way into the first round. Carlos Bassam out of Wake Forest is moving up uh, as fifth on our board now at the edge class. I think he could be in the first round conversation. Curtis Weaver, surely in the first round conversation. You didn't bring up your guy. And Julian Akbar, he's third on the list. I think he's playing himself into the possible top 10 conversation with how freaky he is. So I think the edge class, after getting a little trashed over the course of the offseason, I think it's pretty, you know, back to D-line talent. I think it's replenishing again. You're going to have a fairly, if you need edge help, you're going to have your pick of some guys in the first round here that are pretty good. Absolutely. Let's go to linebacker. I'd say, I'd say it is a weak linebacker class. Yes. But the, guy, but the guy at the top, the Clemson guy, plays a lot of different positions, though, in that defense. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Simmons, he's even got a ton of snaps at free safety. That's how athletic and how fast this guy kind is. Kind of is a safety in exactly. that defense. Exactly. Yeah. And um, but with Isaiah Simmons and linebacker evaluation overall, you, you have to be a special athlete to mm-hmm. play well in coverage. And I think you have to project similar, similar a little bit to tight end in, in terms of like you have to be a special athlete to kind of produce that position at the next level. I think Isaiah Simmons is exactly that, a very good athlete. Yeah, this one's a clear, there's Isaiah Simmons uh, up here at the top, you know, top five, top ten sort of player in the class. And then you have line, it's kind of like last year where there's two at the top, but there's only one at the top this year because Dylan Moses tore his ACL. I don't really see any guy in the first round conversation whatsoever right now. Uh, I like Willie Gay. He's the number two linebacker on our board, Mississippi State uh, linebacker, but he's only played one game this year. Got suspended for a game after that one game for violating team rules. So 
a uh, little red flag there <laughs> for him. But he's freakishly fast. I, I love his coverage ability, but I'm not sure he's even going to declare if, you know, with all the stuff that's going on with him this season as a true junior. So after Isaiah Simmons, the linebacking class this year, pretty rough. Mm-hmm. But Simmons is, you need a linebacker, go get him. You can do anything in your defense, except for maybe necessarily play the run, but we don't really care about that. Yeah. Well, you got, I got to bring up another guy that I feel like people are liking, Northwestern Patty Fisher. <laughs> Six foot four, 241 pounds, a little bit longer than some yes. of these traditional yeah. off-ball linebackers that people fall in love with, the mm-hmm. Ben Bowlwares of the world, where people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I love this guy. He's, you know, he's got the face paint down, all that stuff. But this guy, 83.1 coverage grade, but you know, it's, it's, a lot of it came from one game against UNLV, has struggled yes. in run defense. And when you're that kind of linebacker that maybe doesn't have that ceiling as an athlete, you you're struggling be. against the run. Yeah, he, he got ex- kind of exposed against Wisconsin against the run uh, laterally on you know, a little wider runs, moving sideline to sideline. He is a downhill type of player. Um, I, I just think he's a little too limited athletically for me to get on board with him. Yeah. In any of the first, fortunately, three those rounds, d- those downhill players are very valuable in 1985. So yes. he, if he wanted to maybe get a time machine going, I think he'd he be goes really... Northwestern. I mean, <laughs> go to their uh, you know engineering program. Maybe you maybe you invent one. Mm-hmm. So we got a, our next guy on the list. We talked about him a little bit on the Tuesday podcast. The Ohio State corner Jeffrey Akuda. And then before the pod, I, I had a little nickname action going. Yeah. I'm ready to drop it here. How about Jeffrey Barracuda? Mm. Ooh, that's hot. I'm going to say it right now. That's hot. Uh, but anyway, this guy's also Feel really free. good. Outside of o- the OSU ter- social media team, take it. <laughs> Outside take it of the terrible it. nickname, but maybe could be good down the road. Jeffrey Akuda looks legit. Yeah. You know, five star pedigree. We talked about mm. it on Tuesday. Very, a very good athlete with great size, and now he's getting the production when he's tested this year. I think there's so much to like about this guy right now. Yeah, to me, he's very clean as a prospect in terms of. Checks the athletic box, checks the production box now, plays in a scheme that's very translatable to the NFL. At that point, you know, you love to see all you love to see your bases covered. Uh, you don't like to have any sort of glaring red flag in any of those three regards there heading into the NFL. He does not. And so at that point, man, Jeffrey Okuda, uh, he's gonna be the top cornerback on our board. I feel very comfortable about that being the case come next spring. And, and you look at other cornerbacks in this class, there are some other top names going into this year. You're Jeff Gladney of TCU, Paulson mm-hmm. Adebo before he got toasted against UCF, Bryce Hall of Virginia. There's other names, but... C.J. Henderson. Yeah, C.J. Henderson, who's, who's coming back week. Yep, coming back this week. I think those guys, I mean, when you bring them up, they're just in a different class, class as a CUDA because they're not that same level of athlete, and I don't think they're as scheme versatile as Jeffrey Okuda right now. Well, yeah, I think Okuda just has the size, you know, 6'1", 200, has the athleticism, has the production... In uh, the scheme, everyone else has sort of a little knock on them. Bryce Hall, the scheme, not playing as much press man. You kind of wonder about, is that going to translate to the next level? Is he only an outside corner? Christian Fulton doesn't quite have the same speed, had the injury. Uh, I, I think he's a good athlete in his own right, though. Fulton's actually, you know, he's number two on our board. I think he's the closest thing to Okuda uh, at this point, but is also a year older as well. And then CJ Henderson could be, a, he just there's the kind of that like doesn't have the mindset of a top tier corner to me like kind of just is too patient not in opposing wide receivers faces uh, him and marco wilson are like exact opposites in terms of personality marco wilson's committing dumb penalties getting right in guys face at the line of scrimmage you're kind of guy yeah <laughs> no not at all but cj henderson's just kind of like he br- breaks up a pass and just walks back to the huddle as if he didn't just break up a pass, which like fine. There's you can count the number of cornerbacks and then the country that do that on one hand that don't mm-hmm. celebrate. I mean, cornerbacks are celebrating guys dropping passes 50 yards downfield on them. CJ Henderson's not even celebrating picks. So, yeah, it's a little it's a little bit different. But uh, hopefully down the stretch, he could you know, he's he is freakishly athletic in his own right. He could move his way up the board with a you know, strong play in the SEC schedule here. What's crazy. You bring that up about um, 
CJ Henderson, I had an opportunity to interview him before before the season, and I mm-hmm. talked to him, and I feel like I came away with that exact personality, very vanilla. Did not, you know, I asked him, you know, hey man, like, what are you trying to work on to get better? He's like, I just want Florida to win. Yeah. And I, I try, hey, uh, you know, looking at going against these guys or whatever, and I just want Florida to win. I just want to win a championship. Mm-hmm. And he was very quiet. Did not. I, I was trying to praise this guy. You're high in our coverage yeah. grades. You're doing so well. Like, done the four incompletions. We think you're a great athlete. High on our board. And he's like, me, bro. yeah, I don't really care. I, I just want Florida to win a championship. Mm-hmm. And I think. That I came away, I was like, wow, very reserved kid, very focused on one thing, not a guy that likes the rah-rah. And I think you see that in his play because mm-hmm. he doesn't like to get in the face of receivers. I even asked him about that. He said, yeah, I don't really like to do that. I, I like the play will talk for itself. I don't really chit-chat. So mm-hmm. interesting about C.J. Henderson and that cornerback class overall. I think I would agree with you about Christian Fulton. I think him at number two, and I think he is the closest to maybe jumping, maybe not jumping ahead of Kakuda. I think he's got a pretty distant lead, but he is the closest to Akuda and a big reason why mm-hmm. he's number two on that board. He locked up. Elijah Lipscomb in that Vanderbilt game. It was it was unlawful. Really. Yeah, it was unlawful. Um, let's go ahead and go to our next. Se- oh no, we're going to safety. Yeah. Safety position right here. One more here. position. LSU, not Christian Fulton. The safety Grant Delpit. Yes. Now he is very very good range, very aggressive. The four, the missed tackles are a concern. Crazy. They're Bad. they're they're kind of insane. Yeah. How much he misses tackles. However, still you love the range. I think he's got great scheme versatility. Again, a big reason why he's number one on the board. Yeah, he's missed over a quarter of his tackles already this year. Wow. Which is bad. Six out of 22. Missed 16 out of 81 last year. So this is not like, oh, it just popped up out of nowhere. The dude missed tackles. And that's not, you know, it's not great at the safety position, but you know, Earl Thomas early in his career had a missed tackle problem. Earl Thomas missed a ton of tackles with the Seahawks early on in his career. Uh, it is just sometimes you got to evaluate it on a case-by-case basis. With Delpit, I'm not too worried about it with all the things he brings to the table. As a coverage player, I think it's a weak safety class, though. After him, there's not a lot of versatile guys. Uh, I think Shaheen Carter, the Alabama cornerback, sl- uh, slot cornerback there, is probably the next most versatile. But he basically just plays slot cornerback for them. Uh, and Xavier McKinney for Alabama is kind of versatile as well, but I don't love his. Uh, I don't love him, what he brings to the table in terms of going projecting to the NFL. I just have questions about how quickly he processes the game. So I after Grant Delpit, I think there's a clear distinction. He is the top cornerback in terms of if you want to, or excuse me, safety, if you want a complete safety. But it will say I love Ashton Davis out of Cal as a deep safety. That dude has wheels on the back end, makes play sideline to sideline. After Delpit and Davis, though, not a great safety class. What about the, Notre, the Notre Dame guy? Louis Gilman. What do you fifth think on our board. Yeah, what do you think of him? I think he's a box safety. And again, if you're like box safeties, cap out on our board like in the third round. Like you just... Box safety is one like Jonathan of Jonathan Abram. Yes. You're just one of the most easily uh, replaceable underneath coverage is just not super, super valuable. It's the downfield coverage that we talk about all the time being far more high leverage, far more valuable, far better of a skill set to bring to the table. If all you can do is cover, you know, underneath zone, uh, you're, you're just not going to bring as much value to the table. But I do like him in that role. I think mm-hmm. he makes plays in that role. So. And I think that's, you know, when you go back to the times we've watched film together and we're able to kind of filter out certain plays, you look at targets of 10 plus yards a lot, see that key playlist to see how they do downfield, specifically watching yeah. those snaps back to back for cornerbacks and safeties. And you can kind of recognize, do they have the skill set, one, to be fast enough to get down there? And two, yeah. when they are down there, are, are they do they have the ball skills to make plays? And also the box safety thing is a lot of defenses today, or pretty much every defense today, does not have a box roll, deep roll. There are so few that will be willing to define that you have to be able to do all of it. Like you just have to be able to do pretty much all of it to see the field consistently in the NFL. So that's why if a guy is just a box and like will get exposed deep, that's just not going to be 
it's not going to fit in a lot of defenses. Especially as you see more and more with the slot position becoming more a slot receiver well becoming a starter. Yeah. You have like people attacking the deep seam a lot more, the deep middle of the field a lot more. And I mm-hmm. think the box safety you can't afford to be getting toasted deep. You need yeah. to be fast. And with that being said, you kinda want if you're gonna have two safeties on there, you want two safeties that are capable of have that range to be free safeties. Mm-hmm. Um that's gonna do it for our defensive position rankings, the top at every board. Not sure how much that will change moving forward, but make sure you keep keep on the two for one draft podcast. We'll be diving into that all year long and into the draft. Now we go to what's on tap. This is where we're going to be previewing some of our favorite prospect matchups ahead of the weekend. We're starting with, excuse me, Friday matchup, UCF at Cincinnati. Oh, hello. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel (laughs) and Gabriel Davis. Not a great matchup for prospects, but if you're going to watch some games Friday night, Gabriel Davis is probably the only uh, draftable uh, guy here worth watching at this point. You know, there's safety for UCF who's actually named escaping me, but you're not really going to see safeties off of uh, the uh, game, you know, the TV copy. So Gabriel Davis, probably your guy to watch here. I don't love his speed, uh, rounds off his routes a little bit too much for my liking. And has only gone four of 11 contested catches. So I'm pretty much just trashing him right now, but he has been productive for <laughs> yeah. UCF here. You know, for, for Gabriel Davis, I watched because he did have that play where he beat a day ball on the double move. And I think you saw that like top speed. I think what, what I put in my notes here is that, wow, you get really impressed with some of this deep stuff. I think he beat, he beat Pitt at the line of scrimmage a couple mm-hmm. times playing that press. And I think what I want to see more is more routes. I want to see him run more than just a nine and run sure. some other routes. I think he ran a very, not just a vertical route tree, mm-hmm. but a pretty straight route tree in terms of yeah. him just running down the sideline. Yeah, side when line. he did run digs, that's why I was saying it looked pretty rough. And, and what I found interesting too with UCF's offense, they run a ton of wide, wide uh, splits yeah, where these guys are really. running like right on the sideline. I think, I don't know, it's interesting to see them stay on that sideline and run those deep, deep goes. Another thing too, Cincinnati, according to PFF's ELO rankings run by George DeHurry and Eric, um, Cincinnati's sixth best defense in the country right now. Fick. Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle. Changing the culture in town here. Absolutely. Um, So that should be a good game. I mean, if you're Friday, you you don't have the bevvies. You're just watching watching some games at home. If you do have the bevvies. If you do have the bevvies, it should be a good time. Um, And just wait. Yeah, I was going to say, don't forget, Mm -hmm. Trey Walker redemption game. San Jose State plays the late late night. uh, Four drops last week, my boy. Just don't drop a ball this week. He's going to get 15 targets. He's got 15 targets in each of his first two games. Just uh, 15 targets, eight drops. No, <laughs> no, but Trey, Trey Walker, we but talked yeah. about on the Tuesday podcast, did drop four balls in that last game. He was one of our blackout performances, one of those to forget. He needs a bounce back game against a very bad team in New Mexico State. If this guy doesn't torch New Mexico State, I don't know, call the dogs off because I'm not ready to keep hyping up Trey Walker if he has a bad game against New Mexico State. Um, if he has a bad game against New Mexico State, we're, we're not going to talk about it on the podcast. <laughs> I promise you that guy's that. All right. Uh, Saturday, let's preview some of these games here. TCU going to Iowa State. I, I put in the notes here. What's going on with Jalen Rieger? You know, that's w- not what you put in the notes. You put in where the fuck has Jalen Rieger been, actually. <laughs> that's, that's true. 63.1 receiving grade, two drops, only 11 receptions on 24 targets, 111 oh. yards and a TD. He did have that punt return. That was cool, and TCU highlighted that on their Twitter feed. But I missed. I need the receiving production, and I feel like it's, it's been tough to watch. I, and now I'm starting to think, does this guy return? You know, does he even come out this year? I think he needs more production if he's going to be highly valued in this draft. Yeah, production... Still has some value. It still matters, I, I think, at the receiver position. But I think he's already almost shown that production. Like he's already shown as a you know nineteen twenty year old that he went over a thousand yards in a terrible, terrible uh, situation there in TCU with the quarterbacks. He has been missed three times when he's been wide open this season down the football field. Would have been probably you know one hundred fifty plus more yards added to him and three more touchdowns if he got hit on those throws so he can get open down the football field. So I don't necessarily worry about that, but I have the biggest thing for me is he's 0-4 in contested catch situations has gotten muscled out 
of it at the catch point, like I said, four times in four different situations here. So that's the biggest concern for me because I thought from last year he went 14 of 29 in those situations. 14 test catches is a good number. Uh, I, I thought he could sustain that at the next level. But if you're going to be undersized, 5'11", 195, and not physical at the catch point, uh, you're going to move down the board a little bit because it's a stack wide receiver class. I'm not saying it's oh, bad yeah. by any means, mm-hmm. but you're just not going to be above guys like, you know, LaVisca Chanel. You're not going to be above yeah. these freaks like T. Higgins who are getting it done on a week to week basis. Uh, so drop down from second to third in our wide receiver rankings from preseason could be going farther if the production doesn't step up sometime soon here. Yeah. And I feel like you bring up a great point. If you watch the 2018 film, you find out quickly that he can create separation, has great speed, can do stuff after the catch. This year, a big reason why his receiving grade is down most likely is because of those contested catch situations. When yeah. you're not winning those, you're going to get downgraded yeah. in PFF system. And I think that's where he needs to prove himself. I think you, you'd like to see the quarterback hit him so the box score looks a little bit nicer, but at the same time, you know, PFF's advanced stats, you're going to see with the contested catch ability when you're missing those opportunities, mm-hmm. things aren't going great. Okay, in the notes here, you want to bring up what exactly I wrote in the notes. Alert emoji, Jordan Love versus LSU, Joe Burrow alert emoji. Yes. I'm ready to talk this game. I am excited to see two, two good quarterbacks. Top five QBs. Now, uh, one's... Uh, one sort of who they're facing. One's matchup is a little more difficult than the other's yes. matchup. One's going up against probably the best secondary in college football, Jordan Love. One's going up against Utah State uh, in Joe Burrow, which is pretty much par for the course with some of the defenses he's faced so far this year. So Burrow, he goes off, don't, whatever. That's I good. think they're that's favored expected. by like 34 points. Yeah, so. like that's expected. He might not play the second half in this one, but Jordan Love, uh, hopefully the first team defense for LSU stays out there for at least three quarters, and you get to see him against Derek Stanley, Christian Fulton, Grant Delpit. Tough windows, Going to be a big game for him, though. I want to see two big things. I want to see him you know, avoid sacks because it's not going to be easy. Uh, he's done that extremely well uh, you know, against some bad competition that Utah State's faced this year. And you know, in the past, that's been his calling card, good pocket presence. Can he do it when it's about as bad as it gets? You know, Like uh, we saw from uh, Daniel Jones last year, when you have about as bad a situation as it gets and there's really no one open, are you still avoiding sacks? I want to see that. And then I just want to see uh, decisions with football. There's been way too many turnover-worthy plays this year. Ten, I think. Do not, yes, do not throw it to LSU after that. Uh, yeah, do it's not gonna be throw a great, it to LSU. I it's like going to be a great uh, for Joe Burrow. Great evaluation. I mean, this is a guy that's rising up your board too. I mean, he's not going to be able to show a ton here. But if there is something you're watching for Joe Burrow, what do you want to see from him? Domin- just domination yeah, against a bad defense. Basically, keep keep playing the way he's playing. Like mm-hmm. there's there's if you just just keep this up to the entire season then shit like it's a no-brainer. <laughs> he's the number one quarterback in this class. So just keep uh status quo at this point with him. There you go. Uh, let's go to Iowa and Michigan. And I, I, we highlight a lot of defensive linemen for Michigan mm-hmm. right now. They've earned very high grades. Josh Uche 91.2, Quiddy Pay 86.5, Mike Dana 81.5. Those Is that guys, how you pronounce it? I have no guy. Quiddy Pay? I don't know. I said it and it sounded weird. I, I, I was like, uh, I don't watch games with like the volume gonna, on most of the time because yeah. announcers like they're just rough. So uh, K W I T Y P A Y E. There you go. Maybe Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Qui- Qui- Pay? No, I'm done. Okay. Anyway, those those you defense, guys know what we're talking about. At this these, point. these defensive linemen are grading really well, but largely because Michigan has gone against some really bad teams. Yes, and we've said that on previous podcasts. Going against Iowa, they got Tristan Wirfs, 89.3 grade this year. I think this is a good test. Finally, a good test to see who's in and who's not well, for this Michigan team. And Alaric Jackson is coming back, and that's actually the one I'm maybe most intrigued about in this entire matchup. I feel good about Wirfs winning his side. I, we have him as number one tackle. Yeah, we have him as number one tackle. If he does lose, hey, we'll reassess. But Alaric Jackson, I'm ve- I was very low on coming into season. People were rumoring him as a first rounder. He gets hurt, 15 snaps in against Miami of Ohio, week one. Hasn't played since. He's coming back for this game, and so 
yes, maybe if he does get his butt whipped, it's sort of, uh, oh, he was just returning from injury, still hurt, whatever. But I do think there's questions to me about his foot speed. Uh, I don't think he fits the athletic profile of what I'd like to see for an early, you know, first, second, third round tackle in the NFL. So I think we had him as a fifth preseason, fifth round type of player. Need to see him against a guy like Jason Uche, who's a little undersized, 249, is listed at 6249. Twitchy, quick, has a nice little inside move, has beat guards this season. So this is a nice test for Uche, nice test for Larrick Jackson. Hopefully, Tristan Warris business as usual. Should be a good game in Ann Arbor. Mm, let's go to Auburn versus Florida. I think Auburn favored by three points in this one. Going to Florida, you got Jonathan Greenart and Jabari Zuniga. Yes. Zuniga is supposed to come back from injury mm-hmm. for this game, and they're going against Prince. Your guy from Auburn. Mm-hmm. Not your guy, but a guy that's sp- supposed yeah. to be kind of taking this next yeah. step and then kind of has struggled out of the gate. But a very good offensive tackle, and I think a mm-hmm. test for these Florida edge defenders. Well, and Jack Driscoll, the f- UMass transfer who's at right tackle, that's who right. actually, uh, before the season, I would take a Winogo higher. Uh, we've talked about before why I, I thought that. You know, he had not played offensive line until he got to Auburn. Saw this great progression from him through three years. Kind of took a step backwards this year. His foot speed, not great. Uh, athletically limited. Driscoll, on the other hand, not so much. I thought he was just didn't quite have the play strength, but apparently he was hurt last year, playing oh. through injury all of 2018. Now in 2019, lunch has only allowed two pressures, yes, and he has been very good this season. They're much closer in my eyes right now than they were going into this year. And so uh, Driscoll will probably see a lot of Greenard. Uh, Tego Nogo see a lot of Zuniga. Great matchup. Zuniga and Green are both 90-plus pass rushing grades on the season. This is probably in terms of just like draft talent. Uh, this one is a great, great matchup to watch uh, there in the trenches. That should be exciting. I think with mm-hmm. Greenard and Zuniga, we've both been kind of saying for a couple podcasts now, let's see them against some top competition and dominate. And I think this will be an opportunity to see that with Auburn. Another guy that's coming back, a guy we talked about earlier in the podcast, C.J. Henderson. He should have an opportunity against a good Auburn offense. Coming yes. back from injury, so maybe maybe temper expectations. But if he can have a plus game so far this year, he's allowed in limited sample size. I think he's mm-hmm. only played 55 coverage snaps, but... One reception allowed from five targets or 20 yards. Yeah. And he has a pass breakup. I think I want to see, one, a large sample size, him play a ton of snaps in this game and also have success. I like to see him get tested because he did just did not get tested last year. At I think all, it was like 24 like, targets or yeah. something insane. It was very low, only allowed 18 catches, but it's just because he was not getting thrown. I think it was 28 targets on 18 catches, 20, something like that. Just was not getting tested last year. Throw the ball his way and see what happens because you, you, you want to see guys' ball skills. That, that matters a lot in the NFL. Probably that matters more than it does in college. So that'll be a nice little test for him. A little Pac-12 action here. The next game we're previewing Arizona going against Colorado. The cornerback for Arizona, Jace Whitaker, going against LaVisca Chenault, who's high in our mm-hmm. wide receiver rankings, the guy that I've talked about. I need to see wide receiver wins. I think he gets involved a lot on underneath stuff, rarely sees man-on-man, uh, man-on-man coverage. I want to see... Those kind of things, and maybe Whitaker can bring that. Yeah, Whitaker is kind of alternated between slot and outside corner this season for Arizona. Had that big game early against Hawaii with a couple picks. Uh, had, his, had another pick in week two. It's been a little on the downhill uh, since then, but I love his instincts for the position. Feel not necessarily a fantastic athlete, but I think he'll get matched up against uh, LaVisca at least a few times. So that'll be a fun little you know game within the game to watch there in that one when it's not necessarily the product on the rest of the football field. Uh, not necessarily anything to get excited about there. We were chatting a little bit about LaVisca earlier in the week, and you sent me some texts saying you watched more than just his targets. You were able to watch all of his routes run yeah. and, and on all 22, not broadcast. You were able to see exactly what's going on with this guy, and you were saying this guy might have second gear? Yeah, there was just a handful of plays when he really wants to turn it on down the football field. You just can't because he's 225 pounds. He just runs through cornerbacks. Like Cornerbacks just bounce off of him. 
on his routes down the football field. When he wants to get in position downfield, he gets where he wants to go, basically. So that's uh, while you know he might not be polished, uh, I do think the sort of the physical dominance is such to where uh, just put him somewhere on the football, get the ball in his hands somehow, get him targeted. And I think uh, I'm still high on him, even though we really haven't seen the sort of seen the sort of tick boxes check that you'd like to see checked in the position. I think with him too, he's gonna be an interesting combine watch, seeing what this guy can put up at the combine, yeah. see if he's a freaky athlete with the size he does have. I think he's an interesting um, athletic profile. Let's go, Michigan State going to Ohio State. I think this one's gonna be a blowout. I see Ohio State winning this mm-hmm. one pretty handily, but there are some prospects to watch. I want to talk a little bit about Daryl Stewart Jr. He's a guy that's graded really, really well in our system right now, and I had an opportunity to watch him a little bit. Pay close attention to his targets. I think with him, he had a nice rep earlier in the week, earlier in the season. Nice move off the line of scrimmage, a little double move against Indiana. And then after that, I think dominated Western Michigan, super shifty, an interesting frame. I put that in here. He kind of has like this weird kind of rocky running back frame. I don't yes. know. It's, it's an interesting frame to where you're kind of surprised to see him play in the slot. And then you add in the fact that I think he wears what, number 25? And then you add in the fact that those Michigan State uniforms look like puke. And <laughs> I'm just like, my sensory, uh, I don't even know what's going it's on. Not a, it's, not, it's an unpleasant experience. Exactly. But with Daryl Stewart Jr., very similar to LaVisca, I, you know, watching all his targets, I did not see a lot of opportunities for him to win one-on-one yeah. matchups. And again, a lot of easy stuff. Yeah. And he looks fast. I think you're, you're, you can see the speed on tape. And I think he has an interesting athletic profile. But again, I still want to check those boxes. I, when I'm watching a guy, I want to be able to check those boxes that he can win in one-on-one coverage. Yeah, I thought his like route running was good. I just didn't think he was necessarily overly explosive. I just thought he was kind of... It did of look like a little bit of a one-gear meh. guy. Yeah. It just kind of meh uh, athletically and after the catch. So... Uh, yeah, it'll be a good test. It's, this one's a good test for him because he's, uh, what is he, you know, top, he's fifth, fourth in the country right now with 548 receiving yards. He's been getting pumped targets in that offense. But yeah, he's going up against Akuda, Jeffrey Akuda, Sean Wade in the slot, probably more uh, where he's going to see targets. So uh, very good sort of litmus test for him where he's at as a prospect here. Give me your take on Lewerke. I mean, oh. there's some people who love Lewerke. Talk to me about him. Uh, I am not a Lewerke fan by any means. Some people love him. Uh, I honestly thought it was selfish of him last year to play down the stretch after he was obviously <laughs> injured. The, the, the last, so he got injured. What week was it last year? It was against. Uh, he got injured against uh, Michigan, I, I believe, in that game. Shoulder injury. His throwing shoulder was hurt. The rest of the season, he plays through it. Earns a twenty-seven point six passing grade. Oh my god! Goes forty-nine of one fourteen for four hundred fifty-three yards. That's under four yards in attempt there. Uh, Four interceptions, uh, nine turnover-worthy plays to only two big-time throws. I mean, he just, like, he could not play the quarterback position, but he was torpedoing Michigan State by saying, send me out there, I'm fine. Like, have, like, football guy. Like, it's, it's like, that's a red flag for me. Like, if is he going to ruin my season because he's out there playing, like, butt, and he knows he's hurt, <laughs> but is still going to go through it? Like, that's not a good thing. That's yeah. not a good trait to have. So, uh, yeah, even before that, though, he's, he's a guy who I can see why you – could fall in love with him because he throws with anticipation. You know, he'll make that sort of like deep out, like throw it perfectly on time and hit it. But then he'll just miss so many guys in his decision makings all over the map. So uh, we're not fans of him by any means. Any other guys in this in this matchup you want to bring up? Mm, I mean, you got the Michigan State defensive line that has a handful uh, of prospects, but I don't think it's anything special in terms of uh, the matchups are going up against Ohio State. Not necessarily uh, a great. Uh, offensive line in terms of uh, draftable talent. Yep.
All right, we're moving forward. One of my one of the bigger games here. Justin Herbert going against Cal. Yes. Ashton Davis, two prospects we like a lot. They're high on this our board. I think this should be an interesting interesting test in Oregon. You know, in Eugene, Justin Herbert going against a Cal defense that's very good. Yeah, it has a lot of talent, and I think they've played well. They didn't win in Arizona State. We'll get to that later. But uh, Justin Herbert, you know, going against Ashton Davis in the secondary. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think this one is he going to be able to push this ball down the field against a real sort of defense and a real you know safety in Ashton Davis who is a playmaker uh, on the back end. That's just been my question with Herbert all season long: is against a good team, can he? Will he? You know, take that chance down the football field because he's just been so uh, overly conservative with how strong his arm is. He should be able to fit it into tight windows against bad corners, bad safeties that you see in college. Uh, but consistently, anytime he faces a halfway decent defense, just turns into a turtle, throws the ball five yards down the football field every single time without you know taking those chances, doesn't want to take that chance down the football field and plays losing football. And I think, that's just what it. That's yeah. why they've lost their big games. And I think this Cal defense is good enough to turn Herbert into a turtle if they do go down early and he starts to make mistakes. I want to bring up some of Ashton Davis's production um, so far this year. A seventy-two point two coverage grade, good, not great. He has six missed tackles, which is a little bit of a concern. You'd mm-hmm. Like to see a bit, a bit, a little bit more efficiency there. And from target standpoint, six receptions allowed from twelve targets for one hundred and seven yards, no touchdowns. Um, only the longest play he's allowed is 18 yards, which I feel like I always like to see for the safety position. Mm-hmm. When you're, you're not allowing those deep plays. You have to think about not all targets are created equal. When you're targeted, you know, 40, 50 plus yards down the field, you got to make sure you're not giving up those big plays. And he does have two passes defensed on the year. He earned an 89.3 coverage grade a year ago. He's a guy that we love the tools very, very fast, you know, former high hurdler or whatever it may be. You'd like to see the football production. Now he needs to be a football player too, in order to kind of really get behind mm-hmm. this guy. Yeah. Um, guy we got to bring up though. Cal. Matchup. Cal. Evan Weaver. Evan Weaver going against this Oregon offense where he's going to be... He's going to be tested because a fifth of Herbert's attempts this year have been screens. So he's going to have to play laterally, attack lineback- attack running backs, come downhill with questions about his athleticism and coverage ability. This will be a nice test for him because he'll have to cover a lot of ground in this one against Oregon's offense. Uh, and he's... He's coming off a game where he's a little upset. He's on tilt, okay? Yeah. He, you know, coming off that loss against Arizona State, he was with a guy that they brought in, unfor- you know, not unfortunately, but he had to get brought in after the loss for the press conference. And we got a little clip we're going to play for the podcast. You're not going to be able to see it if you are watching on YouTube Live, but we got to play this clip. He is so upset. Before- i got to preview the clip a little bit. So upset. His face looks so upset with everyone there. And the way his responses to these first two questions of the press conference are absolutely... His, his face is scarlet. It's like, <laughs> is a bright... Glowing red. He looks yeah. like, and I, I encourage you to Google it. He looks like he's ready to chew the mic off <laughs> and, and punch this guy in the face, who I think works for Cal. But I'm gonna go ahead and play the clip for you. Evan, uh, your coach was just in here, and I don't remember seeing him quite as unhappy as he was tonight. Can you evaluate how you think you guys played on defense? Horrible. Didn't play good. They all played us. How schemed us. And we just gotta make plays. We didn't make them. Why do you think that would happen tonight? I don't know. You watch the game, you tell me. <laughs> you watch the game. Anytime you're trying you to like me. roast a reporter, never a good luck. No, like, it's not. Like, you're never going to get the benefit of the doubt in that situation. But I love the answer. It yeah, the, it's, so, it's, so ama- it's such a football guy. I, we've talked about him a little bit being this football guy. We mm-hmm. watched the, the full press conference, which I encourage you to watch. And I feel like this entire time you get some defensive leaders in a press conference that, you know, kind of like we had a terrible game. We played bad defensively and I'm taking ownership. You know, this yeah. is me. I, this is our fault. We need to get these guys better. This guy looks like he's pissed at all 10 other players that were on that field. And he brings that up later in the press conference. And at the very end, after just an awful, sad, 
angry pod, uh, not podcast, press conference. The, the, the final question goes, and he's getting off the mic. He says, go Bears. Definitely going to have to go clip Bears. that, go Bears, yeah. and, and move forward off that. Evan Weaver, uh, to talk about him as a prospect, after just kind of talking about him as this person, um, stout, he's graded well in PFF system. You know, He's stout like this. Large, usually a good tackle. Yeah, he's usually. Miss three. He did miss three tackles in that Arizona State game. He's missed a handful this year. I think it's important to understand that he just doesn't have the athletic profile and size. He kind of projected the next level to be a good off-ball linebacker in the NFL. He just does not have the tools to do so. I think he's only 235 pounds, has struggled a bit in mm-hmm. coverage this year. It's hard to project him having success as a coverage linebacker the next level. Yeah, we don't necessarily love him uh, as a prospect, is all I'll say. No, I'll just leave it at that. He can change our mind, but I don't think he has the athletic profile for linebacker position. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Enjoyed that. And then we're going to go draft specials where we preview the rookies from this one. And we're going to talk about first guy, A.J. Brown. We talked about him on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Now he's going against a very good Buffalo Bills defense. Micah Hyde, one of the highest graded safeties. He made our first quarter all-pro team. Tredavious White in this lineup. I think this Bills defense is very good. I think it's a huge test for Marcus Mariota, but let's not get into that. A.J. Brown, biggest thing I want to see for this guy? Targets. Throw get him on, him get the, him on the football field. Yeah, yes. get him, Tajay Sharp has more snaps than him. Tajay Sharp is out snapping A.J. Brown right now. It's Why? absurd. Just, he needs to play the game, and then you need to throw him the football. He's arguably your best yeah. skill player right now. I'll say that above Derrick Henry in terms of what he can do from an EPA per play standpoint, EPA per target. Ooh. He's going to offer you the get, most get nerdy. E- the most <laughs> efficient play standpoint. <laughs> he's going to offer you the most efficient play yes. as a target down the field. Well, I mean. He, he gets open. Tasha Sharp is not like there's yeah. why I can't fathom the reason that you would have Tajay Sharp out snapping. You're overthinking point. it. At that point, you're overthinking it. Or like, maybe Tajay Sharp shows up early to the meetings and maybe he brings donuts. I don't care. It's downfield run blocking. That's the difference. Oh my gosh. Don't even. AJ Brown's probably a good run blocker too, though. If you get no, into some I mean, opportunities, is, it's, no. it's, it's there's, absurd. There's no, there's no feasible reason unless, unless AJ Brown's literally. Uh, you know, not showing up to practice and not has no clue what the playbook is, which would <laughs> probably so. also show up when he is on the football field. But yeah, that's probably the only reason they could feel. And he's beat some good right corners now. too. I mean, yeah. in, in week one, he went against Denzel Ward and, and against Atlanta. I think he beat Desmond Trufant. I mean, it's not it's not like he's going against you know cupcakes and winning. He's beating good cornerbacks in yeah. the NFL. But also, looking, once you're in the NFL, even if you're the guy you're going up against, if you can beat him. Uh, he's an NFL cornerback. Exactly. You know? so. Very good point. All right. Another guy we want to bring up. Kind of a preview largely because, I mean, you dropped on Twitter about, you know, oh. pa- pass rush win rate for rookies right now. Oakland Raiders. I wish I had. Yeah. Oakland Raiders faithful. Very upset that Cleveland Farrell is ranking where he is right now. Bottom line is, move the numbers out of the way. He is not producing. Regardless of where he's lining up right now, he is not producing as a pass rusher. Struggling, very similar to maybe how we expected mm. him to struggle. We did not have him top five on our board. We did not have him top 20 on our board. Did he goes a, little bit, goes a little bit higher because I heard he's a really nice guy, very mm. high character, and that high character is not producing sacks or pa- pressures on the field. And now he's going to London go and hang out with those guys, mm-hmm. and play a Chicago Bears offensive line that I think is underrated. I think they have some good talk, top tackle talent. Yeah. If Cleveland Farrell continues to play as badly as he's had through Week 5, I mean, you're going to start to get concerned about you know having this guy on the field. Yeah, lowest pass rushing win rate of any player with 100-plus pass rush, any edge defender with 100-plus pass rushes. And you absurd. Can, you can miss me with the he kicks, you know, he plays all over excuse because only 66 of his 218 snaps have come inside. Like, that is a very basic split. That's not like J.J. Watt who goes about 50-50 or even a Michael Bennett. That is like a guy who kicks inside on third down. That's a quarter of his snaps. That's, you know, one down. Yeah. So it's very much not been the case for him. And if he does kick inside, it's because they think he could win inside and should be you know getting better matchups there and you want to get more edge guys on the field uh and if you know 
you drafted him top five because maybe you like that versatility, uh, but it's not translated to the mm-hmm. football field. So needs it against the Bears, but the Bears have you know fairly good offensive line. So this is uh, it's just been a bad start for Cleveland Farrell, and especially when you consider the fact that Josh Allen, Brian Burns starting like a house on fire. At their and they were both seasons. available at number four. I mean, yeah. Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence, two guys who primarily play inside, have better overall pass rush win rates than Cleveland Farrell. And on the interior, we've seen it's much harder to create pressure and win at the same level as an edge defender. And the fact that two DIs, two rookie DIs, are mm-hmm. beating you in pass rush win rate, that's a problem. That's something that's very bad. My favorite uh, excuse was the same excuse or that I heard on Twitter in response was the same excuse I heard for Rashawn Gary, uh, which is, oh, they're not scheming him to create pressure. You know, they're, uh, they're scheming him to get other guys to create pressure, which... If you're going to waste, you know, if he's your best defensive lineman and you're wasting him to get other guys pressure just to scheme them, uh, either you're saying your coaching staff's an idiot or you're <laughs> saying that, uh, you know, they're wasting or you're just saying he's not good enough at creating pressure, uh, which if your best guy is Rashawn Gary, best, you know, defensive lineman from Michigan and you're scheming him in a way such that he can't create pressure, what are you doing? Like, yeah. he's, it's because he wasn't their best guy. It's because they were scheming him in favor, guy. like with stunts and stuff, trying yeah. to get him to create pressure at Michigan. All right, next matchup here two rookies, a little rookie on rook, a little mm-hmm. rolling rook on rook. Here, Garrett Bradbury going against Dexter Lawrence of the New York Giants. Garrett Bradbury, one. we mentioned it on Tuesday, has had an absolutely abysmal start to the year, specifically in pass protection. And Dexter Lawrence, not a great pass rusher, but he has come on. A little bit of late, he looks mm-hmm. better now. He's, I think, he's adjusting to the speed of the NFL. I think Dexter Lawrence could go in here and just snack, just yeah. absolutely eat him up. Dexter Lawrence, one. nine pressures over the last three weeks. Uh, I think he, I liked uh, what he offered as a pass rusher better than Christian Wilkins coming out. Still young, uh, still goddamn enormous, and I think his <laughs> length and size going to be an issue for Bradbury. He's just struggled against that. Guys have kept him at bay because he's got those little T-Rex arms. Uh, he's got that little, you know, coming off the line of scrimmage, doesn't have uh, a lot of juice behind him. I think Dexter Lawrence could handle this. Could be, I mean, this is a nice little rookie on rookie. You'd love to see this. You'd love to see, honestly, for as a Minnesota, if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, Garrett Bradbury win this matchup. It's an inexperienced defense. I know he's bigger. I mean, he has to, yeah, right? he, if, I know if he's bigger. If you don't bigger. win this, which one are you going to win? Exactly. I know he's bigger and he's got the length, all that stuff. But if you can't win this one, it's going to be a real concern. I mean, at that point, it's a real concern. The worrisome thing for me about Lawrence, and it's just kind of just like an off-topic thing, going back to what we talked about pre-draft, he's only playing about 30 snaps a game, which your first-round pick, if he's only playing, you know, half to 60% of the snaps, why, why, why are you drafting him 17th overall? That's not a value add necessarily mm-hmm. to your defense. Uh, you that's you had Damon Harrison. Like it, yeah, we've gotten, you, we've gotten into that, but it's like, Play him on the more snaps. See if he can hold up over more snaps. Like, get your money's worth out of this guy. I, I feel that 100%. Terry McLaurin missed this past week with an injury. The rookie is the highest graded offensive rookie in the NFL right now across mm-hmm. all rookies. And I think he's played really well. He did miss that game. His return to the NFL, though, is going to be very tough. Going against the pass secondary, I would not be surprised if uh, Bill Belichick had... Um, Stephon Gilmore yeah. coming at him. I wouldn't be surprised if Stephon Gilmore shadowed Terry McLaurin. Or even they do, you know, have Gilmore shadow someone else and then do the bracket on McLaurin. Oh, man. There's not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot that they have Dude, to worry it's about. It's going to be very for tough Redskins, for McLaurin to have success. If he has, yeah, if he has just, a good game, I mean, we might need to be talking about offensive rookie of the year at a certain point. Yeah. Gardner Minshew probably. And, and we don't even race. know who's going to be throwing McLaurin the football here. Yeah. So, Well, they don't have a plan at quarterback. That's what the quote was. Do you have a plan for quarterback this week? And he says, no, we don't. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. You haven't had a plan for the first four weeks either, though, <laughs> to be fair. Um, yeah, Terry McLaurin. I think he faces a really tough matchup. I do not see him having a ton of success, but mm-hmm. we'll see how this one goes. Uh, next rookie matchup here on the draft specials, Eric McCoy going against big boy Vita Vea. Yes. This is going to be an absolute beef on beef. 
Should be a very mm-hmm. good matchup to watch. Vita Vea, low key, top three defensive, top three nose tackle in the NFL right now. He really came on strong towards the end of last year. Uh, has done so again this year. Came right out the gate firing. Eric McCoy, though, only three pressures allowed through the first four weeks. All three hurries, not a single sack, not a single hit. So uh, this one's nice. Uh, I really like this matchup. Vita Vea offers something a little different than he's probably seen up to this point in terms of just he is about as powerful as he gets at that position in the NFL. Already 16 pressures, Vita Vea, through four games. Uh, dude's a horse. So uh, this will be fun. A little one-on-one. You don't have Drew Brees' ultra-quirk release to protect you there anymore. Uh, so uh, we'll see how that matchup goes. Definitely good sort of. If McCoy is for real, which he very much has looked so through the first four weeks, uh, he might and wins this matchup will be go a long way towards him, you know, could be one of the best centers in the NFL sooner than later. Going to the New York Jets versus the Philadelphia Eagles, Quinton Williams should be coming back yes. from an ankle injury and going against one of the best interior offensive lines in the country. Mm-hmm. Or in the country sounds more like a college. Yeah, thing. that does. That I'm was sorry. college. Thing uh, most, most talented, interior, one of the most inta- talented interior offensive lines in the NFL. Brandon Brooks made our all-pro team. Jason Kelsey made our all-pro team. This, this is going to be a very tough test. Fire. Yeah, very t- tough test for Quinton Williams. Yeah, didn't have a single pressure uh, on 23 snaps that very first week out against the Buffalo Bills, but had, then had the ankle injury. So, uh, you know, TBD, TBD is still the still sort TBD. of the still sort of the you know book on Quinton Williams right now. We just don't know. So, mm-hmm. uh, love him coming out. So this will be nice to see him back on the yep. football field. Last draft special before we get to the perfect pairings. Christian Kirk questionable. I think it was with an ankle injury. He might not play in this one. We might be getting. Second rounder, Andy Isabella out of UMass, a guy we kind of fell in love with before the draft. He was the highest grade receiver in college football in 2018. Very fast. Doesn't need to be played in the slot to have success. I'm excited to see him possibly step into, a, even if it's a 20, 25 route roll here, I just need to see a little taste. I just want a taste of the speed and what he can do in this offense. I know. I can't wait to see it. I just, I, I just, you want to see a guy in the football field. This, if you got, draft a guy that highly, second rounder, he's played all of nine snaps so far. And so Christian Kirk, questionable. Take over that role. They've said, hey, he's an outside receiver, which is like what They've I was said that. pounding I didn't see that. the table for. Let's... Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury said he's an outside receiver for them. So let's go. Let's see it. Yeah. I mean, we'll just get to see, get a first taste of a guy who we had as a first-round uh, talent last year. Interviewed him twice before the draft, one one-on-one uh, on a Skype call, the other one at the Combine. And I talked to him. I said, we see you not as a slot receiver. And he's like, yeah, honestly, I don't know why they play. It was an adjustment for me to play slot mm-hmm. at the senior bowl. I was yeah. not, you know, I'm an out. I've always won with speed on outside routes and stuff. I had to be, he said, I had to learn my, I had to be sharper with my routes, be a little bit, you know, less with my, win less with my speed, but mm-hmm. more, with, more with my craftiness, something yeah. he wasn't used to. And I think, dude, play this guy where he's good. Outside receiver, watch him torch people down the sideline and make some plays. I'm excited to watch him as well. Perfect pairings to wrap up the pod. These are going to be our prospect comps, pretty early comps, but I feel pretty mm-hmm. confident about these. The guys you just really thought, you saw them and thought that's who they remind me of. There right you off go. The so you're going to go ahead and start with Wake Forest edge defender Carlos Basham Jr., a guy we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Who does he look like? He looks to me like Marcus Davenport. Really, I did an article on the Saints defensive line earlier today because Davenport gave Tyron Smith some sauce this past week. He actually mm. looked good against him. He's starting to come around, and I think that's who Carlos Basham is. Six four, Basham 6'5", 275. Uh, Davenport was 6'6". Uh, 265 coming out, similar size uh, in that realm of just ridiculously explosive, ridiculously straight line. But at that size, at that explosiveness, you just have the bull rush will come at some point. And they're flexible enough. Like they've they've shown it enough to where it's just going to happen. The light switch will flip at some point when it does. I don't know, but it seems like it's happening for Davenport here in year two. Uh, Basham, it's finally happened now his senior year here at Wake Forest. So uh, hopefully... 
uh, that's a similar. That's where I kind of see him prospect wise. Is that that's a good comp? I like that. I'm going to go my guy here, Michael Pittman Jr. of USC, comping him to he's six foot four, two hundred twenty pounds, comping him to Mike Williams, the Los Angeles Chargers receiver. Now I think very similar size. I think they win in similar ways. He's mm-hmm. more, he's a big receiver, but more sudden than other big receivers. He's not like a Kelvin Benjamin big where mm-hmm. he's just like lumbering down the field. Should probably play tight end if not the XFL. And with Michael Pittman Jr., way more sudden, can actually create separation, but he's also mm-hmm. physical. And we talked yeah. about that a little bit. He's physical, can win at the catch point, good contested catch. He also adjusts to the ball very well. I think Michael Pittman, Mike Williams, they look very similar. Yeah, and when but I think both are of the physical dominance to where you think it could keep going at the next level. Like yes. We always talk about separations, king, whatever, whatever. Uh, you can't just rely on contested catches, but when you are 6'5", 225, when you are just a monster and are so much bigger than the cornerbacks you're going up against, you can start to rely on the guys. When they have good ball skills and when they are going to get their body to the ball before the defender, you can start to rely on that. That can be a piece to your offense. It can have value still. So I think both, uh, that's why we like Mike Williams coming out. That's why I think Michael Pittman, uh, the comp, I'm not going to say I hate it. I'm okay. going to say it's, it's there a, we go. Okay, it's I'll perfect, take that. It's a perfect I think pairing. for that comp, too, I think I need to see Mike, uh, Michael Pittman Jr. when he goes to the combine run under like a 4-5-5. Four, 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 five, five. I need to see get under that yeah. pretty badly. He wasn't super fast himself. What was he, like a 4-6 or so coming out? Yeah, I uh, don't know like off the top of my head. But Probably I think I want to see him get under that 4-5-5 mark yeah. so you can kind of project him as more of a sudden bigger, bigger receiver, yeah. better, a little bit faster. Um, your next comp, Bryce Hall, University of Virginia cornerback. We talked about him a little mm-hmm. bit earlier in the podcast. Who does he look like? He reminds me of... Byron Maxwell, in that you play him in a Seattle cover three defense, let him run up the silo, money. Like he will shut that role down. He will get PBUs. He'll look like an all pro when he's guarding Antonio Brown that one time uh, when he was with the Dolphins, when that was all he was doing. Ask him to do a lot much else, and it gets a little hairier. It's mm-hmm. not quite as good. Uh, I think that's who Maxwell was over the course of his career in the right scheme. He could lock down the side of the field for long periods of time, which we saw. I think that's Bryce Hall. He's not a perfect cornerback by any means, but you can win with him in the NFL. Both super long, tall corners, good ball skills, that sort of thing. He's another guy, too, that I talked before this season started and asked him about scheme versatility at the next level, saying, you know, that's so important for cornerbacks. If you want to be like this top talent mm-hmm. in the draft, you need to be scheme versatile, be able to play man and zone coverage. And he said that's something he was prioritizing. I want to work on my man coverage. I need to be a better man corner. He, he also said he preferred to play man coverage. He likes that. He thinks it's it's uh, more fun for him. But he yeah. said, I also understand zone scheme pretty well. He's a very he's a film study guy, very big into the tape. And I think you see that in his zone coverage, very instinctual, reacts to the ball pretty well. Uh, last comp here, another guy. Guy that I think you've heard a lot uh, from me. Aesop, Aesop Winston Jr., the City College transfer to Washington State. Six foot, six foot, just under 200 pounds. That's what he's listed for Washington State. And what I had the comp for, and I think this is like an ideal comp for him. If, if he could get to this level, I think he has the the ability to get to this level. Robert Woods of the Los Angeles Rams. He looks a lot like Robert Woods. Very similar frame. I think they're similar athletically. I'd like to see him get down to 4-5 flat, maybe a little bit underneath. But I think with Robert Woods, if he wants to have production of Robert Woods and play like Robert Woods, I want to see a little bit more polish in his route running. I think it's, it's good right now, but to get to Robert Woods level and have that kind of production, it needs to improve a little bit. I think they do look similar, though, in how they're built and, and kind of how they play. Okay. Um, I'm just going to ignore that because we talked about ESOP enough, but I just want to talk about his name is Aesop, and then he's Junior. Where does that name... Like, Aesop, I don't think there's ever been another Aesop <laughs> in the history of mankind. His dad's like, got to be Aesop. But that's what I'm saying. But his dad is also... Did they mean Aesop and spell it wrong? Like, E-A-S-O-P. Why would they mean Aesop? I've never even heard Aesop. Because Aesop's the only thing that's close to Aesop. Like, Aesop's Fables. 
But I've like, never heard of Aesop's Table. Okay, well, I, I don't, I've never heard <laughs> maybe of Aesop. I'm pronouncing either. it wrong. Go, maybe it's go, Aesop. No, it's um, maybe it is Aesop. But go Google E A S O P. Literally, not another thing comes up and it says, "Do you mean Aesop?" Wow. So now, might as well just trash him as a prospect. I've not. I'm just. I've just been like, pronouncing his name wrong. We've been probably saying this entire it a lot. Time. No, no. I'm, I'm saying Aesop is spelled A E S O P. Oh, maybe spelled. they flipped him on accident. That's what I'm saying. Oh, two twice in a row though. <laughs> get the dad. <laughs> yeah. Get the dad you get there, the and then it's the, the first junior. Time. Don't fuck it up the second now. Well, that's gonna do it for our perfect pairings. Uh, definitely excited to do more of those segments moving forward, and that's gonna do it for the podcast. Uh, this has been Austin Gale and Mike Renner for Two for One Drafts. Make sure to follow us. Um, subscribe to our channels Spotify, Apple and um, Stitcher and you're also going to be able to find us on YouTube Live Tuesdays and Thursdays